The English word hope is a very short word. It's a very simple word. And yet I believe it is a word that is packed with all kinds of power. Because of hope, there have been untold numbers of saints that have not only hung on to their faith during difficult times in life, but because of hope, they have also grown in their faith while experiencing the various trials and temptations that we face in this earthly life. Hope, a short word, a simple word, but a very important word. This morning, what I want us to do as we think about that word hope is to see a few things that the Hebrews writer has to say to his beloved brethren and to us about hope so that we will be people that are holding on to hope in any time in our life. I'm not going to go back and read this entire text. Again, our brother Kerry has already read for us there, I think, enough verses from verses 9 through 20 here in Hebrews chapter 6 to give us a good sense of the context in which we want to focus this morning on the last two verses, verses 19 and 20 in this text. But just to make a few comments or observations about the context here before we look at those two verses. The writer of this book has described some brethren that have evidently fallen away from God. They have fallen away from Christ. Uh, They have perhaps gone back into the world, or at least it seems like there are some of these Jewish brethren that the specific audience that he is addressing in this book who maybe have already turned away from Christ and gone back to Judaism, and there are some who are thinking about doing the same thing. And he has described here in verses 4 through 6 of chapter 6, those brethren who have fallen away from God, he has described really the hopelessness of their situation in the present state, that in their present state, as as long as they are in that mindset, that it's impossible to renew them again to repentance. But having said all that, then the writer turns to these brethren that he is addressing specifically here in this book, and he says to them at verse 9, But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you. He has given them a message of hopelessness. He has shown a picture of people who are in a hopeless state because they have turned their back on the blessings of God. But then he begins to talk about their hope. And in this section, verses 9 through 20, he is urging these beloved brethren to not be sluggish, he says, in their service to God and to one another. But he says, I want to encourage you. I want to urge you to show that same diligence that you had previously shown in serving your brethren and serving God. And he says, now you are still showing that. I think he wanted them to realize that all hope was not lost. He wanted them to realize, as he says here in these last few verses, to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. He wanted them to inherit the promises that God had made to them. And he concluded all of that thought here in the verses that we're going to focus on this morning in verses 19 and 20 of Hebrews 16 by describing that hope in more detail. He was trying to urge these brethren to hold on to hope. And that's the message I want us to get today. As we think about biblical hope, we want to think about these four descriptions that the writer gives to us here in these two verses First of all, the writer describes for us and says to us that biblical hope, true hope, is the anchor of the soul. 
What is the purpose of an anchor? I don't know how many of us are familiar with uh, things that, that go on in the sea. Most of us, I assume, live on land most of our life, but we probably know something about an anchor. And an anchor really is to sh- secure a ship to a certain place, isn't it? Uh, it? It is a very small part uh, of the ship. It is a very small object compared to perhaps a massive, a, a great ship, and yet it is able to um, keep that ship safe and secure. It is able to keep an anchor perhaps to an arbor, uh, a harbor or to the shore so that it can withstand whatever comes its way, so that it can withstand the winds that blow across the sea or the waves that are high or the storms that may come, and it doesn't have the tendency to drift out to sea. It's going to stay in one place so that when that storm is over, you can come back to that same place and know that that ship is still there. And so it is, as the writer says to us first here at verse 19, that this hope we have as an anchor of the soul. He is trying to draw our minds to that particular picture, I believe, and saying it is exactly the same with our hope. It is the spiritual anchor, if you will, of our souls. Think about that for just a moment and think about what that anchor does, hope does for us spiritually. As an anchor hope, it is hope that helps us to do right when our flesh wants to do wrong. We, we may be kind of like Moses as was described for us in, in this same book in Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 26 that he could have chosen to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin for the moment, but he was going to endure suffering with God's people because he was looking to something better. His hope was somewhere else. His hope was not in all of the wealth and all of the power and all the fame that he could obtain as the son of Pharaoh, basically. But his hope was somewhere else. And he realized that, yes, he could partake in this particular sin. He could give in to this particular temptation and it would bring him some joy and pleasure for a little while. But that pleasure was passing. That sin was passing. And his hope, I believe, coupled with his faith, of course, helped him to do right when his flesh perhaps on occasion wanted to do wrong. It is hope that ties us to our God in eternity with him. It is hope that deters us from drifting back into the world, drifting back into a life that is given over to sin. It is hope as the writer is addressing specifically in this situation, as we already looked at in verses four through six, or at least alluded to, it is hope that keeps us from falling away from God when we sometimes feel like giving up. That's how strong, that's how important our hope must be. As an anchor, secondly, hope is what energizes us and motivates us to serve God and to serve His people so that we will not be sluggish as the writer is instructing these Christians here again at verse 12 to do. But on the other hand, we will be like those men and women of faith that we read about over in chapter 11 that have gone before us, we will be steady, we will be patient, we will be confident so that we too will inherit God's eternal promises. And thirdly, as an anchor, hope gives us direction and it gives meaning to our lives. We, We may just take this idea of biblical hope for granted because we are Christians, because we are followers of Jesus Christ, because many of us have grown up 
reading from God's Word since the time that we were very little. And that, that concept, just like faith and love and all of those great biblical concepts, hope has been drilled into our head. And we understand, or at least we think we understand about hope. But I'm telling you, we are living in a world just like the Hebrews writer was living in a world. We are living in a world where there are so many people who are living without hope of anything better than what they are currently experiencing every day. But not so. For the child of God. I think we looked at this passage, maybe it was a couple of weeks ago, or at least looked at a, a little bit of what the Apostle Paul wrote connected to our hope or about our hope in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I think if I remember correctly, we looked at the last three verses of that chapter, but I want us to go on today and read into chapter 5. So let's begin there, 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 16. After Paul has talked about all all of this suffering and pain and hardship that he and others were experiencing for following Jesus Christ. Here was his conclusion to that at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary or temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. For we know that if the earthly tent, which is our house, is torn down, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For indeed in this house we groan, keeping, uh, longing to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven, inasmuch as we, having put it on, will not be found naked. For indeed, while we are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, because we do not want to be unclothed, but to be clothed, so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. Now he who prepared us for this very purpose is God, who gave to us the Spirit as a pledge. Therefore, being always of good courage and knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight." We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. The Apostle Paul was one, as we just mentioned, who suffered greatly for the cause of Christ. He suffered tremendously Physically, emotionally, mentally, in every way that we could suffer as people. And he was giving this message of hope to this church here in Corinth and telling all of us that when all around us, including our physical body, as he mentions here at the end of chapter 16, is decaying, that we have this anchor that holds us close to our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And coupled with our faith, it allows us to see the unseen and it gives us a reason to live. Did you notice here, he says, whether we are at home in this physical body or we are abs and we are absent from the Lord or we are at home with the Lord and we're absent from this physical body, this should be our aim, this should be our goal to live in a way to be pleasing to Him. Hope then is the anchor of the soul, and we need to hold on to it as much as we can. Secondly, as we come back to our text here in Hebrews chapter 6, the writer tells us that hope is not just an anchor for the soul, but it is also sure and steadfast. As you think about 
who we are as Christians, as followers of Christ, compared to people out in the world that are outside the body of Christ, there, there might be a number of things that we could say, well, this particular thing is what sets us apart from those who are in the world. But I believe as we're thinking about this morning that hope is one of those things, that hope is in a very real sense what separates Christians from non-Christians. It is what separates saints from sinners. We read about in passages like Ephesians chapter 2 as the Apostle Paul was writing, I believe, in this specific section of chapter 2 to those who were Gentiles and reminding them of who they were before they came to Christ. He says there in verse 12, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. Before Christ came, Gentiles as a people as a whole. He says they had no connection to Christ. They had no connection to the people of God. They had no connection to the promises that God will fulfill and bring about through Christ. And therefore, for those reasons, he says, they had no hope. And so it was for all of us, brothers and sisters, before we came into a relationship with Christ, before we made him our Lord and our Savior and our King, we were like these Gentiles. We had no hope. We had no hope of eternal life. We had no hope of being connected to God through His Son, Jesus Christ. We had no hope of being connected to His people. We weren't in the family of God. We had no hope of His promises coming true in our lives. But now in Christ, here is the good news Paul gets to later in this text. But now in Jesus Christ, they and we have hope. I think about something that the Apostle Paul wrote to the, the saints there in Thessalonica as evidently they had maybe written to him and asked some questions about things to come and about the return of Jesus Christ and the day of the Lord and all of those matters. And you remember the answer that, that Paul begins to unfold here, beginning at verse 13 of 1 Thessalonians 4. He says, But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. I believe that the great message for these saints in Thessalonica and for us today is this, that if we live in Christ, if we die in Christ, then we have that blessed hope. It is something that is sure. It is steadfast. Think about those two words with me for just a moment. First of all, that it is sure. Paul, or the, the writer here is uh, back to Hebrews, uh, is telling us this hope is certain. And this hope is certain because God is certain because God is who He is, because we can count on Him, because He is a faithful God. He is faithful to Himself and faithful to His promises. Even as the writer of the book of Hebrews had already discussed in the previous uh, verses to the two that we're focusing on this morning, thinking about God and the promise that He made to Abraham and saying that God can't lie and God couldn't swear by anyone greater than Himself. And so He swore by Himself. And when God said something, you can count on it being sure you can mark it down that that particular thing is going to come to pass, whether it is good or ill. And so our hope in Jesus Christ is certain because God himself is certain. Let me ask you this morning, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ, is your hope really sure? Is your hope of being resurrected to eternal life really sure? 
Do you confidently desire and expect eternal life? Not because you have done so many good things throughout your life, but because your hope is in God who made the promise. Or are you just unsure about where you're going to, what you are going to experience for eternity? You don't know what's coming after this earthly life. Sometimes we use that word hope and we say, if somebody asks us, you know, are are we going to spend eternity with God? And we say, well, I sure hope so. (laughs) But we don't say it very confidently and we don't say it like we're anticipating, like that is our true desire. Our goal is to spend eternity with God. We just kind of say, well, I hope so. And I fear sometimes that we as Christians maybe have been so attuned to the false teaching of once saved, always saved, and I believe that certainly is false, that maybe we have become to think of our salvation as we're just once saved, barely saved. That if we spend eternity with God, we're just barely going to scrape by. And that's not the message of the Bible, brothers and sisters. And that's not the message that the Hebrews writer is trying to tell these Christians, some of whom they have seen their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ already walk away from Christ and go back to the world, go back to Judaism, go back to whatever their lifestyle was before becoming a Christian. It is real, it is sure. If we truly belong to Christ, we can and we should know that we are saved. It is sure because God is sure. But secondly, the writer says to us here, it is steadfast. Going along with that word sure, it is steady, it is solid, it does not drift. As we thought back to the analogy of an anchor for the soul, it keeps us right where we need to be. It is hope that gives us the perseverance to overcome trials and temptations in our life because our hope is not based on ourselves. Our hope is not based on something that we can physically see or touch that's tangible as far as this earthly world is concerned, but our hope is based upon God and it is based upon his promises. Again, I would refer you back to what we've already read this morning from verses 13 through 15. If you want to just look at those three verses while I'm talking here from Hebrews chapter six, when God promised to bless Abraham, when God promised specifically that he was going to multiply his descendants, Abraham responded, the text says here with hope. He was a man who trusted in God. He was a man who patiently waited, the text says. And as a result, guess what? He obtained the promise. Now, he didn't see the the entire fulfillment of those promises. We spoke about that some in John's class this morning. You know, we see glimpses or, or kind of degrees, if you will, of some of those promises of God being fulfilled in Abraham and in the Israelites, but then a greater fulfillment in Christ and in us, his people. But Abraham believed and he patiently waited because he hoped. In the same way then, the writer is encouraging his audience and us today at verse 18 that God has promised those of us who are his children eternal life. And since he is a God who cannot lie, he will keep his promise and we will obtain the promise If we take hold, he says, of the hope that is set before us, we have to reach out and grab it, if you will. We have to take hold of it. We have to make that hope our own. But thirdly, the writer describes hope as that which enters within the veil. You know this. I think you do if you're a good student of Scripture, but 
perhaps for those who are, are young and not as familiar with the Bible, something good to keep in mind. But throughout the book of Hebrews, uh, the writer is, is really just drawing a stark contrast between the old and the new covenants for us. And again, as we spoke of in the auditorium class this morning, he is oftentimes using a lot of Old Testament language to make some New Testament applications for us. And so I believe he is doing here when he reminds us about our hope that it is sure, it's steadfast, but it's one which enters within the veil. What in, what in the world does he have in mind when he says our hope is that which enters within the veil? We're not going to take the time this morning to go back and look at this text, but you can read it or, or look at it on your own later. Exodus chapter 26, one of, of uh, several passages we might could look at along these lines. But there in giving some instructions about how the tabernacle before the temple was to be built, uh, talking about the veil that would separate the holy place from the holy of holies. But I do want us to think about that imagery and what the Hebrews writer has to say about it. Since we're in Hebrews this morning, go over to chapter 9, beginning at verse 3. Chapter 9 of the book of Hebrews and verse 3. The writer says here, Behind the second veil there was a tabernacle which is called the Holy of Holies, having a golden altar of incense and the Ark of the Covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod which budded in the tables of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. But of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, when these things have been so prepared, the priests are continually entering the outer tabernacle, performing the divine worship. But into the second, only the high priest enters once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. He is reminding this audience of that kind of language that he was using here at the end of chapter six of what he was talking about. In the temple, of course, as we just mentioned, this veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies. As this text tells us here, as the one in Exodus chapter 26 reminds us, that it was only the high priest who could enter into that holy of holies. It was only the high priest that could go behind the veil or enter into the veil, if you will, only once a year and only for the specific purpose, as these two passages tell us, of offering a sacrifice for his sins but also for the sins of the people of Israel. And I believe as the writer gives us that picture here in chapter 9, and as we take it back to the verse that we're looking at this morning in chapter 6, that that which behind, was behind the veil re really represented God's dwelling place with Israel, that there was the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, that this is where God would meet Israel, if you will. And so as we read throughout the Bible, I think we will find that God dwells in heaven. Certainly God is everywhere, as the Bible tells us that he is omnipresent. But he is dwelling in heaven and therefore our hope, I believe the writer is saying here, is laid up in heaven. Notice what is written to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 beginning at verse 3. The writer says to them and to us, that we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love which we have for all the saints because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel. It is a divine hope. In essence, the writer is telling us here, Paul is telling us in Colossians chapter one, it is not a hope that is 
from man. It is not, does not have its source or origin in man. It does not have its source or origin in this earth. But it is a hope that is from God. I remember a long time ago, I think when I was a young preacher, uh, listening to Brother D. Bowman, he passed away. I think it's been a couple of years ago now. If you ever had the pleasure of listening to him, I, I, in my estimation, he was just a great communicator of truth. And he could take concepts in the Bible and he could describe them. You might remember he's a wordsmith and kind of even had his own dictionary. But he could just describe things in, in such a beautiful way using words to put a great picture in your mind. I remember him saying this about our hope on several occasions, that he said to think of our hope as a rope, and our hope is that which is anchored in God, and it is anchored in the throne of God. And in both good times and bad in our life, if we are true followers of God and His Son, Jesus Christ, what we need to do is to pull on the rope. We need to pull on the rope because it's sure, because it's steadfast, because it is anchored at the throne of God. We can pull on that hope and it will help us to get through those times in our life. Listen, the writer of Hebrews is encouraging these Christians to remember, even though they are suffering maybe from their culture, even from their own Jewish brethren, if you will, because they have made the decision to leave Judaism behind and to totally devote themselves to following Jesus Christ, even though they may be suffering in that moment for their conviction, their faith in Christ, to remember that their hope is not attached to this earthly abode. That rather their hope and our hope is attached to the Almighty God and His throne of power and mercy and grace. The writer says that our hope is that which enters within the veil. And then fourthly and finally, in describing true biblical hope, the writer reminds us here that our hope is only found in Jesus Christ. I love a lot of things about our country. This, this is the only country that I've lived in, as I'm sure is true for many of you. I've only gone to Mexico and Canada and just right across the border of each of those country. So th this is my life here in the United States of America. And there are a lot of good things about our country. We have a lot of blessings, a lot of freedoms, a lot of privileges that uh, so many peoples around the world do not have. And we shouldn't take those things lightly. But along with that often comes an arrogant attitude. And I think so many Americans, at least in times past, maybe not as much today, but have kind of thrown out this message or this sentiment that, you know, America is the hope of the world. <laughs> you know, if America falls, then the rest of the world is just going to crumble. And the rest of the world is dependent upon us and our economy and our military and our technology and all of our intellect and all of those things that are blessings. That if America falls, the rest of the world will fall. Let me tell you this morning that our nation is not the hope of the rest of the world. Jesus Christ is the world's only hope. To the extent that we as a nation follow God, uh, yes, we can be a blessing. Yes, we can be a beacon of light. But Jesus Christ is the only hope we have. 
The Apostle Paul said those very words to the young preacher Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 and verse 1, that he is our hope, Christ is. And because he is in us, Paul reminds us in Colossians 1 and verse 27, that Jesus Christ living in us is our hope of glory. He is our hope. I like what the Apostle Peter said, writing like much to the same audience, not the exact same audience, but an audience that was suffering for following Christ like the Hebrews writer was writing to. Notice what he writes about our hope in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Keep that thought in mind and go further in the chapter down to verse 20. Talking again about Christ, he says, For he, Christ, was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but has appeared in these last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Our hope is based upon who Christ is. Our hope is based upon who God is, as we said a moment ago, that God is sure and certain and stable and steady that God is faithful, but here Peter is reminding these Christians who are suffering for following Christ that their faith and our faith is in Christ and is based upon His resurrection. I don't know if this song is in our book. It was in the, the hymns for worship uh, hymnal. But it says, because He lives, I can face tomorrow. Because He lives, all fear is gone. Because I know we know, we are certain. Our hope lives. Peter says we have a living hope. What? Is there any other kind of hope? I mean, a dead hope, that, that's not hope. Our hope is a living hope because our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ lives. As our great high priest, Jesus has entered within the veil as a forerunner for us, as the writer reminds us back in our passage in Hebrews chapter 6, to not only show us the way, but to be the way. Don't you remember the words of Jesus himself in John 14 and verse 6, that I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And as our hope, he is reigning now at the right hand of the Father as Lord of lords and King of kings. He is interceding there on our behalf if we are his followers Notice again what the Hebrews writer wrote in Hebrews chapter 7. Hebrews chapter 7, beginning at verse 23. Again, this contrast between the priesthood of Israel and the high priesthood of Jesus Christ. Beginning at verse 23, he says, The former priest on the one hand existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his, his priesthood permanently. Therefore, what, what's the significance of that? Yes, Jesus is high priest forever. Okay? <laughs> so what does that mean for me? What did that mean for these Christians that were about to chunk their faith in Jesus Christ, to throw away their hope in Christ, and to go back into a hopeless world? What does that mean for us? Verse 25, therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. He is interceding on our behalf. 
And praise God that he is. True hope is only found in Jesus Christ. There might be a lot of slick salesmen and Satan being the foremost of them who would try to draw our attention away from God and his son Jesus Christ and our promise of eternal life and say, no, you can have your best life now. Your hope needs to be in your money. Your hope needs to be in your health. Your hope needs to be in your family or in your job. But God is very clear as we read his word that our hope, if it is true hope, is only going to be found in him and his son. What about you this morning? Are you in Christ? If you're not, you're just like the Gentiles that Paul wrote about in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 12. You have no hope of eternal salvation in your current state. You have no hope of seeing God face to face one day. You have no hope of enjoying eternal life with Him. But you know it and I know it. Here's the good news of the gospel of Christ. Is that in Jesus Christ you can have hope. It is not some fairy tale. It's not some myth. It is sure. It is certain. It is an anchor It enters within the veil where Jesus has gone as a forerunner for us. Don't you want that hope? I tell you what, we ought to be people who are shouting from the rooftops this message of hope because we live in a hopeless world that is desperately seeking for this message. Do you have hope this morning? I want you to think about that question. Do you really have hope? Do you know that you will spend eternity with God? And if not, do something about that this morning. Think about that question. Think about your response as we stand and as we sing.